welcome everybody to the very first inaugural episode of Inspiring Futures. Inspiring Futures is a podcast that seeks to identify and talk about the future. Uh, what we're looking to do is try and understand how people think about the future, what that future is, and why they're thinking about the future. So we're going to be talking to a range of different people, uh, some of them futurists and some of them who are mild, mildly interested in the future, about the future. And I'm very pleased that my very first guest is Anna Angelic, who um, has a very, very interesting and, and diverse career as a strategist um, and came to New York first to study and has a PhD in sociology um, and um, has some very interesting uh, thoughts about the future. So I'm going to get hand over to Anna to introduce herself, tell us a little bit about how she got um, to where she is and what her kind of approach has been to thinking about career moves, etc. So Anna, would you want to do a little intro? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. And it's a great honor to be the, the first guest on the first podcast that you're having. <laughs> Maybe you end up building a podcast empire. Uh, but no, in, in, in all seriousness, it's a pleasure to be an inaugural guest. Maybe because my name starts with AA, so you're going alphabetically. <laughs> but I'd like to think it's not only that. So, yeah, you said, you said um, correctly that I, I moved here 18 years ago um, to do my master's in media studies and my PhD in sociology and it's been non-stop moving since then moving from academia to the real world to the sort of professional digital agencies and then from digital agencies to creative agencies and from creative agencies to agencies specializing working with uh, fashion luxury uh, lifestyle brands and then going client side and then what's next you know like I think that it's very amply your your podcast is very amply titled as like that's that's you have to keep moving in in the fast world you need to move as fast as the world moves in order to have a robust skill set and be adaptable yeah i mean that's really interesting i think you know um having um been just left a place i was at for 20 years it's it's uh it's quite remarkable i actually stayed somewhere as long as that it's almost something like my grandfather would have done yeah, golden watch and like yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Maybe you get a Rolex, so maybe you get a swatch. Which one did you get? I don't know. Probably a swatch. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think the you know the thing for me is um, I was always challenged myself to you know is is it interesting? Um, but the world has accelerated so much, as you said, and you know getting those different inputs and having those different experiences. Uh, is something that, that, that do you feel makes you valuable? Well, I certainly hope so because the plan is to uh, acquire as uh, as diverse a skill set as possible, to work as as many diverse other talents as possible in different organizational structures, dynamics, and flows. Because for me, like the question about the future is the 
critically the question how adaptable your organization is. That is, do I have the right processes, resources, and structure to be adaptable? What's going on? What What is going on? Do I know what the, how? Do I can I respond quickly enough? Am I flexible enough to be open? What is going on? And I sort of try to apply that to my own career to build a vast network and to always have uh, new challenges for one but it's not only about boredom it's about growth because I think complacency is the enemy of, of any growth on organizational level or industry level and on individual level mm-hmm. so um, take us back to where were you before you came to New York and what was what was what did you when you were a girl growing up what did you imagine you would be doing I'm I'm Serbian. I moved from Belgrade. I just finished ecology there, and uh, the way I was I was thinking I was always like fascinated by by combination of like psychology, sociology, behavioral economics, media studies, sociology of technology, and that was sort of the driving thread through throughout it all because I have very strong customer centric approach how people behave and that's where the inspiration comes from from talking to people from traveling I travel a lot for work and otherwise and just like seeing how people do things in different cultures and how they how they are so I think uh, that's the way uh, it always inspiration was always like knowing more and uh, doing more I guess yeah getting yeah. more ex- getting more experiences yeah, yeah. um how how often we, you know one of the first questions we would were talking about was how often do you find yourself thinking about the future is it something well i find it, myself it, thinking a lot about what is going on how how people behave right. how younger older also how how people how humans behave mm. what motivates them what they're inspired by what they need and how to make their lives better or different and so because i think about that the way i think about it is how do I make the company I work at more competitive? How can we respond to those needs better? That's what I think all the time about. How to be more competitive, how to be more, more flexible, how to be more responsive, how to be more adaptive, how to create something, how to position yourself for the next five years rather than just answering what's going on right now. And that is, that is truly the key question for me. What, what does it being competitive today mean? How do you stay as close to customers as possible in your organizational design and in, in, in everything that you do? Mm-hmm. So what are some of the, you know, one of the challenges for, for a company is that they tend to think about the day-to-day. It, there's so much preoccupation with uh, getting stuff done today that thinking about the future is somewhat of a luxury sometimes. And so if you're in your position as a strategist, as a, a marketer, with your responsibility to help that organization think about the future, what do you think? How do you think you get people out of their day to day and say, "Look, we need to start thinking." Well, like when I was the chief brand officer at Rebecca Minkoff, it was uh, like that is client side. So those are the organizations that hire agents for this or that. But these are actually the bread and butter of, of that family or that it, it, like people need to buy things. So you by default, you, you really need to be relevant all the time. You really need to, to, to have an excellent retail strategy. You need to have extra customer acquisition strategy. You need to think about like, okay, do I move from wholesale to direct to consumer? What is going 
going on? Are people more shopping? So there are like a lot of complex questions happening all at the same time. And the best way I figured first is uh, the first thing I've done when I, when, I, when I joined was to break down the silos. As everyone was sitting in their little like pods and marketing was doing their thing and then creative was doing their thing and PR was doing their thing because it's the easier way to kind of like when you have a complex environment, you kind of like simplify it by kind of isolating yourself and doing the same thing over and over and over again. And the way is break that down, but then create a really process. And then once you create a process, then you have to create someone who is going to push that process forward. The most important thing above all of that is to give them some purpose and a very clear and aligned purpose and vision of what this company can be and what is their role in making that vision happen. And then going from that vision and seeing how they can do things differently in order to meet. So you can't, in a, in a way, you can't think about the future unless you have a vision because you don't really have a path. Well, I, I like when you think about the future. I think the worst, worst thing to think, worst way to think about the future is in linear sense uh, because not everything happens gradually and then suddenly, and uh, like change happens slowly and then all at once. So you can't put anything on a timeline. So I think marketing calendars, all of that, this is probably the worst possible way to think about the future. What you think about is like, what are the scenarios? How does this process unfold? How does this behavior unfold? Like ABC, how do those things interact? And once, once that happens, once you have that sort of scenario going on, then you can say, all right, then we need to do XYZ next next, I don't know, some time period or in, in sequence, doesn't matter what time period, but this sequence needs to happen in order to, to get where we want to get. But then at the same time, you have to be flexible and open to like pivots, to left field things. So that is sort of stay open-minded, but follow the plan, the scenario, so to speak. So is, it, is, it, is, it, is there a process to thinking about the future? So that you could perhaps... First of all, this question was absolutely not on the list. <laughs> so are you, are you like throwing curveballs? I mean, there is like... Well, what, I mean, all, I'm, all, I, all I'm saying is I think you're saying... I think that's what you're saying. There isn't a... Uh, you start with a vision. You identify... But you need to know what you as a brand... What, what what's your role in the world and like where do you want to where do you see yourself in in, in 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 10 years or like like let's say not tomorrow let's see like oh I would like to have this role and this is what I need to do in order to get there and this is how I think there, there is no process but they're thinking tools and they're tools that help you address situations and challenges in a certain way that are going to help you get there you're gonna so when you when you have this when you have this vision this five-year vision or whatever and these are the things mm -hmm. you got to prioritize what those things because a small company can't tackle every single absolutely not but you can say hey if we see that like people are uh, are buying more uh, on the DTC channels which is like their own stores sure. or online or in social media social so commerce and, but then we have like 70% of the business is wholesale well I can't cut 70% of my business because that's like I'm going to have to fire people but I'm going to slowly start to think how to move and what is a good strategy well let me think about it maybe we make some things exclusive on our site for the, for the period of time before they hit retailers. So it's like it's a more of a decision tree and a scenario planning rather than in two years I want to be blah blah blah. Because if you have too strict of a process and a plan then you become too rigid in your thinking and you're not open-minded. So it's, it's more between um, 
organizational structure and then you have dynamic which is open-minded so you need to like really pay attention of a lot of things at the same time yeah that, that makes total sense so as as someone who's leading this process you you have quite a lot of you have to be pretty smart or have to access you have to be able to know you have to be if you're the leader of this process right. the expectation is that you've got some insight into where things are going well, you don't, I mean, as is, you need to understand very intimately consumer behavior. You need to know what the factors are. And you also need to know how technology and consumer behaviors interact. So if you say, hey, if Instagram, if you're a fashion brand, you're a contemporary fashion brand, this is their audience, this is how, how they behave, this is what they're looking for. And this is what, say, Instagram is allowing them to do. And this is what authority means on Instagram anymore. It's not, it's like these distributed networks when you have the different sources of authority. So how do I actually act in this environment if I know that I need to advance my brand, move the culture and grow my business. If these are my two success criteria, then you start from, from there and really understand what, or where maybe we say, oh, TikTok, they, they don't have a browse button. You just open an app and you start watching videos and is there personalized for you? And what does it mean for the future of influence? So you do need to, you need to think strategically and creatively and operationally. But um, that that demands of you that you are a consumer of a lot of information. You're taking a lot of inputs in and being able to understand it. So is that, some, is that, is that you? Are you reading a lot? Are you looking at a lot? Are you talking to a lot of people? How? I think a lot. Yeah. I think a lot. I think that's what's missing. And that's that's a luxury these days, is just to be able to think things through. Because when you think about attention spans and our claims to our attention span and the amount of emails and meetings, this is the opposite of thinking. And like just if you have enough time to digest information and to make connections, and then to create some sort of like structure in that and, and inter interpolate, that's what, what really is. Because I realize like 90% of stuff that's out there, you like you get ideas. I'm not going to, you get ideas from there's no shortage. People. There's no shortage of information. But exactly. There's, but there's I shortage think of insight. It, if you want to stay, or for me, it, it's just thinking those, yeah. yeah. So, so when you think of it from a corporate perspective you've got these different speeds you've got people you've, you've got if you don't have people who can have the time to think you have a bit of a problem potentially well yeah, i mean that's different agency side from brand side yeah, we're, talking, because on, we're talking brand side on brand side no one has time to think i don't have time to think like that is that because there is never enough I mean, agency life is a nice life, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I couldn't wait to get out of there, but once you get the brand side, that's like the reality hit. And, uh, and because that, 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 like, agencies are more like, you know, big kids are playing. You know, I mean, I'm, it's not, you know, that is important role that agency plays and so on. You're but you're saying it's not it's, the same. I mean, lose a pitch, you, you don't necessarily need to close an agency. Yes, lose five and you will. But, yeah. you know, you know here, but here is you miss a quarter, you know, like you may not be around, you know. It, it's much cutthroat and the yep. pressure is much bigger because it's like sink or swim, it's like make it or not. And then also, 
the ecosystem is much more diverse. You have merchandisers and wholesalers and, and, and buyers and I don't know showrooms and press and it, it's kind of like much more diverse ecosystem of everything that, that you, you need to keep in mind and in that sense the their specialized functions so everyone is good in what they do and that's why I said that process really needs to be that you have people who can connect all those different dots and also inspire those people to think about when they think about say PR to also think about social media to like this sounds like maybe basic but it's really not how a lot of company retail companies or fashion retail companies think so yeah ideally you would have people who think but if you don't have that then you can have people who think fast so for that little time they have, they they they, they can connect uh, different inputs in a smart and, way. And do you think there's also like uh, you start if if you make an experiment, like say you use technology. I don't know. Rebecca Minkoff did some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. They, they 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 were the first ones in 2014 who had interactive mirrors in stores, and they were the first ones on Instagram and to use influencers. And I mean, like now it's like okay, but it's like we're talking about when brands were like, don't let bloggers in a show, you crazy, you know. So it's a very different environment. Yeah. So did that create a culture where they were open, so they were more innovative? They were more. They're absolutely open. They're like the mandate is unbelievably open. So in that sense, that was a great experience. Of, of absolutely trying different things. Right. So, um, you, you, so in your mind, there's no shortage of inspiration. Inspiration is kind of everywhere. What there's a shortage of is time, time to think. Well, it's thinking. It's like yeah. re really like connecting the dots and, and understanding what that really means. Because too many, too often, it's like we run from, like we're, we're throwing the latest technology and see what's going to stick or the latest idea and see what's going to stick and everyone is talking about the similar things without thinking, well, how does that really connect to customer behavior? Does it, how do they right now? Like look at Fortnite, for example. They had a like marshmallow had a concert with 10 million players. Second Life tried that back like in the day, you know? And, or, or look at Time Warner CEO who was like in 2010, who said like, oh, Netflix is like, would you conquer the world with the Albanian army, you know? And, and like for, for me, that's sort of like, no, 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 but you need to go beyond just technology or just, hey, Netflix was DVDs. Well, no, they never were DVDs. They were always playing the long game. And that long game, it was on demand entertainment. And I, you don't know how next thing is. When Uber is a similar thing, they're not a taxi service. They're like a global urban infrastructure. So now you have Uber Eats and like kittens deliver. You don't know where you're going to go next. Yeah. You know, and yeah, for shipping and logistics, exactly. And then Amazon started as disrupting like bookstores, and now they're in the ad business. So it's never good to just think about like from one, oh my god, they're like, you know, this is they're just like this new technology, how are we going to use it? It's like, no, 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 but what does that really mean in terms of scenarios on different levels, on a business level, organizational level, behavioral level? And then you see how does that work, and then you say, hey, but how can I make money off of it? That's the business aspect. And then how can I influence the cultural conversation around it, which is the brand aspect. But all those aspects are connected. So that, that is the best way to think. And you can't come up with that if you're just not thinking about it. Right. Yeah. So um, one of the successful, Glossier is one mm -hmm. of the darlings of the beauty business. What have, what have they got right? What, how have they managed to see the future or 
see the present. They figured out that they 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 they're like the people love what other people love and like they they, they they like talking what they think other people are talking buying and that people like have abundance of choice and in that abundance of choice they turn to other people to tell them what to buy read you know shop put on their face or so on but also people are social animals they enjoy the benefits of sharing and Emily Weiss was smart enough to provide the platform or the place for everyone to share their own tips about everyone to act like an influencer in a makeup business and that basically the brand is defined by its uh, its customers which is completely the opposite the opposite it is a grassroots brand building. She's like, okay, guys, here are the products. The products are so cheap that basically anyone can play with it. And now you can like share on Instagram or on website or like share your comments, tips, everyone. If I literally went out of this door and I went to someone and asked like, like my skin is dry. What do you think? They would have an idea. Or like, what's it? Everyone has an opinion. Beauty is such a business that is like, it's very passion oriented so it's easy like to share different things and it's also like the business that is sort of like everyone has certain taste or opinion or something it's not like oh I don't know enough about like agriculture so I can't like really talk about it it's like it's a low hanging fruit in a sense so everyone will have an opinion beauty is just easily easily like conversational business so so she realized that and she used what already existing out there the existing beauty communities and literally like piggybacked on what already happened conversation that already happening and she provided them ammunition for their own lifestyle through cheap products but she's not about products at all those products are not the best products in the industry what she has is this unbelievably dedicated army of people who also experience benefits of sharing and then she capitalizes on earned media like nobody's business <laughs> she doesn't own media i mean it's all like shareable pouches stickers conversations comments when you look and at she wants to, to she's going to develop her own social commerce site. she can if she wants because the social currency that she created is so strong that she can monetize that social currency in one in one place. How, how much do you believe that there's a generational effect at play? Because nobody wants to buy their mom's stuff. They want to have their own brand. And therefore, a lot of these disruptors, I think, benefit from the generational connection. The, the people want their own brand. They don't... The, 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 if, if the brand does something good and it has something, as you said, in the case Glossier has this social connectivity... It would be quite hard, even if Esther Lauder did the same thing to. Well, I have think it's same... all about social currency. If, if Esther Lauder figures out a way to 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 sort of market even the mom's brand, it's if, to tell the story. But it's I think it's more about their marketing and their narrative, the way they're saying and the imagery they're using, and like sort of not understanding how consumers are really behaving, how everything it's about. Like how that social influence. So that's the disruption. Is. That's the disruption. It's in social influence. It's like how susceptible society is for a trend of like very affordable makeup that solves a problem that not traditional companies have ever solved because they have not never listened to consumers. So you know, it's like sort of that entire cycle. Oh, the brands that are 
automatically listening to consumers. The brands that are created by consumers themselves who are frustrated by the fact that makeup is maybe too expensive or doesn't come in 50 shades for African Americans like Fenty Beauty does, created their own. But that's like rooted in, in the need, in behavior. And then they created the brand by capitalizing on ex- dynamic quality existed in the marketplace. Well, the other, I mean, the other thing which, which seems to me, I mean, obviously there's a, there are a ton of... Um, um, mass market brands, but it, it seems that this is the challenge for luxury. That the the luxury was so much about control and top down and image. We dictate the image. Mm-hmm. We tell you what you should be doing and what you're talking about. And a, the current, present, and the future is a different. Consumer. 100% I mean look now like first the first change happened with like oh, like editors telling me what to do like fuck you I'm going to listen yep. you to my friends or I'm going to see what I see on the street or there but then like again we're going to like TikTok with those influencers it's like it's your taste profile you don't need to follow anyone TikTok all algorithm automatically gives you things and those things are not even like from some exceptional individuals they're from ordinary people like how to's for example or create a hashtag challenge and I don't think anyone is really ready for that sort of like new form of influence everybody is still talking about how influencer bubble is going to explode and they haven't seen that it's getting replaced as we speak by something else by algorithm by, by artificial algorithm because like TikTok is if you want to see the future of influence it, it, it's it's there TikTok is it because first bots are influencers like created around your personalized profile but the thing is you don't need to follow anyone you don't need to show off there is no social capital that other social influence the previous eras created that influences here what do you wear what's your social status how do you show off then you have a completely different network affordance which is the algorithm and that is the ultimate like influence what your algorithm presents to you is what you're liking and then the second thing is what you're liking can be some like random kid in some restaurant taking a photo of like whatever flavor combination they made it doesn't need to be someone famous so that algorithm is is a taste algorithm it's absolutely taste because you create the same thing that Netflix does, taste communities. Like you have a taste profile without doing a single thing. You're like liking or not liking the videos. So it's like algorithmic content creation, algorithmic content consumption, and algorithmic infrastructure for all. So of how does how does a, how do brands that have had so much control um, of that you know you, you know ten years ago, fifteen years ago, Yokichi and, and mm-hmm. it's the September issue of Vogue, and you buy twenty five pages of a print advertising shot by an amazing photographer style by an amazing stylist and that's part of the game and then you do your fashion show all this stuff has broken down yeah and no one's reading the september issue of vogue there are fashion shows are going by the wayside but the brand it's still fashion week like <laughs> there's no one's going to fashion week no it's pretty packed i think i mean i think it's people still go to shows but they go to shows so they can you know Instagram from the shows. Right. We're still in the old school influence. But so so like, so the the system the system is breaking down, whatever way you look at it. Well, I mean the system is 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 is, is reshaping. Let's, okay, uh, let's put it right, right. So that means that your product integrity is. Uh, when I say product integrity, that like your design language needs to be very cre- clear. Your brand language, like if Tiffany has like Tiffany blue or Chanel has like that sort of like how do you how do you call 
the leather uh, stitching and or, or Louis Vuitton has the logo or Cartier has the little leopard and, and, and you know like it needs to become like instantly recognizable in that like microcosm of the brand universe and the second thing is like really having being like really obsessive about being relevant in a culture through content you're creating. How do you create value even before the first product is being bought? Who are you collaborating with? Who is your community? Uh, how, you know, so how do you have, uh, how do you create that like four C's universe in terms of like content curation, community and collaborations? Like, so, so in, in a sense you need to digest culture. So even you can create like for, for TikTok, you can create a hashtag challenge, like do X, Y, Z under the Chanel umbrella. It, again, I always go back to organizational analysis, organizational structure and dynamics and how open your organization is to try those things because that's the ultimate what's going to define if... Who do you look at out there as, as people who are forward thinking, who are thinking of the future, who are getting this right and they're coming from... I don't know if there is... Yeah, I don't know if there is one place, but I think it's always good to start from like passion or purpose, like Everlane does or Reformation does or Aesop or, you know, so they have like a very clear reason why they exist in, in the world. And then what else, whatever they're doing in terms of content and collaboration sort of makes sense and forces that role. Because it comes from uh, the, the vision the, and the purpose. Well, right. And the what about what about what about Gucci, who's who's a very old, uh, very old brand that has managed to be relevant? How they how they achieve that? Because they speak the language of the internet. They created the memes. They created the, the like. First of all, they have a very consistent brand universe, so that aesthetic is very recognizable. Even if it's a Zara knockoff, you recognize. Oh, that's a Gucci aesthetic. So that's the first thing. How you put your imprint on culture through a specific aesthetic. Uh, I don't know, personality or, or that universe. And then second is to be where your customers are and really communicate the way they communicate. And then how do you create that currency when it's when it's sharing? How do you, like, people want to take photos of those murals, for example. So it's kind of you think about connecting different media. Together. They have a good understanding of media. They have a good understanding of culture. Of, or, and of consumers, yeah. yes. Yeah. What do you, you mentioned Tiffany. Tiffany. But they also have a great, I mean, like, these are high-quality products. Like, yeah. if the products were shit, like, they yeah. wouldn't last long. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you mentioned Tiffany's another brand that people talk about as having a successful restaging that took, it's taken itself from... Well, I have a feeling that Tiffany's is, is trying a lot of things. <laughs> and we just know the successful ones. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I do think that they are... Yeah, they're they're redefining themselves, and it's very hard to. I mean, we're sitting in a Tiffany blue room actually. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, I I think that it's not easy when you're known for one thing, and then no one knows anymore <laughs> what right. you're known for, and then you have like it's much easier to start from the scratch. And yeah. Um, do you think? Do you think most? Do you think people actually really are doing enough to think about the future, or? Is it is it is thinking about the future a luxury in itself? Well, I think thinking is luxury. Thinking For, is luxury. Thinking period is luxury. Yeah. And then I thought, I mean, thinking about the future is probably yeah. But again, I would say, hey, how do I design my organization? How do I actually? What's my process? How do I implement things in a way that makes me very adaptable? And then the future is never going to surprise you. So when things happens slow when change happens slowly you're you can like smell it in the air that change that and then that when it happens gradually you're not surprised oh shit what did just happen it's more like oh i saw that brewing like we have revolution
competition in food, for for example. Do you think that any of the big companies out there are really like thinking about making impossible burger of their own? They're just like la la la, you know, like and then all of a sudden, like when consumers start eating all plant based diet, then it's going to be like, well, how do we adjust? You know? Yeah, I mean, there's sort of this this idea that that there's this thought that these things that happen are merely fads and they're not going to be dangerous to us so you insulate yourself and you and you kind of believe your own kind of bullshit i guess and you you insulate yourself from the reality in a, in a giant corporation well good luck with that because you're going to need it <laughs> i mean that's what i'm saying when you I mean, like how long how long has mcdonald's for example been facing the challenge of the disruption to fast food it must be 10 plus years right that they have been dealing but with as long as like comp- like as long as companies are profitable they're doing fine they're like why would we change but it's back to your but it's back to your point earlier though because right. there's this idea that, that that it ultimately the difference between the slow and fast sometimes these things happen fast, sometimes they happen slow, and... They always happen slow and then fast, right. <laughs> all of it. Yeah, yeah, slowly and then all at once, and then it's hard as... Right. Well, I mean, what's interesting to me is, like, um, going back to that food example, mm-hmm. is you can get it so wrong so easily. Mm-hmm. So I think Blue Apron's a classic case. You looked at the trends, and you could have said... Um, you know what, with the whole generation out here that doesn't, is, is time crunch, they actually like cooking and they like the idea of preparing their own fresh food and we're going to do these kits. And I remember, it was like 18 months ago, walking around New York, it was for every three Amazon packages that you saw the UPS right. driver, there was one blue apron. Right. So everyone was getting blue apron. I know, but they, I find that is like, and then it, there is a multiple things there because there it's, it has more to do with what is dynamics between VCs pattern recognition and then companies being pressured to go really fast and there is customer acquisition pressure and when you see the same thing with Stitch Fix and when you, when you don't build a company that is brand driven that they say, hey, this is what we stand about and we go slow and we learn and we don't maybe take money, they grow unbelievably fast I mean New York subway is literally your body like that is the, the sort of like like I don't know blueprint of, of, of who got the most VC money at the moment you know yeah. so once you take the VC money you need to you have a pressure to grow fast the way to grow fast is to acquire customers what did Blue Apron look what is their customer retention rate there are they what is the value of the customers they already have and deliver more for them no they went to acquisition treadmill and Spend once you are you spend money in and that's the only way for you to grow is to acquire new customers well fuck no that's not the only way for you to grow you can actually grow becoming more valuable to your existing customer base and organically go to adjacent areas and giving more value for them and so on but no they wanted to add more customers that beat them in the ass at the end because the attrition was unbelievable and they were spending so much money into leaking bucket of acquisition. So I think it's not about the trends. I'm not talking here about the trends. I'm thinking here about understanding social processes and understanding behavior on a very micro granular level because it's very still true. Purple carrot is not doing that bad, but purple carrot is way smaller than Blue Apron ever was. But isn't isn't the... the yeah, I mean, you can you can talk about growth and you can talk about the mistakes, and that's definitely the truth. 
but the the reality seems to me to be that they missed the understanding that there were other people who could do this um, incumbents like grocery stores who could get into meal kits and do it efficiently and effectively uh, and be highly competitive I mean that but you just look at the you look at who's doing it and who's bought doing it like there is like the the, the, the loss of, 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 of shitty click throughs and that's what worked on the web means the same thing like you you don't wanna like if you're first you as well make sure that you really have that loyal customer base that no one else is going to steal from you because otherwise people are going to undercut you on price they're going to undercut you on delivery they're going to undercut you on ingredients on packaging like you name it there is that is like like acquiring customers first is not the the sure sign of competitive advantage. So 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 it's interesting. You would you you listen to these VCs and they talk. They, you look at Andreessen Horowitz, and they are people who do. That's what they do. They look to the future. They're looking at the future. They're looking at technologies. They're looking at consumer behavior. They're trying to identify the companies that have alignment between those two things, and they're trying to make investments. And so they're, um, I mean, it's a hard to generalize on a VCVC, but, um, it, you know, they're spotting the future, but then their approaches to getting to the return on their investment are undermining the success of the companies in, in some cases. Well, but that's the way, because they're, they're looking for short-term returns, and that short-term is always not enough time <laughs> to achieve results. And they bet heavily on pattern recognition. They say, do you have a proprietary acquisition channel? Do you have a proprietary product? Do you have a proprietary supplier relationship? Do you have, and, and whereas they should have, they should think about the social influence and social processes and how a product is going to be adopted by people and why? And is there a social currency that is that can be created around this product? And also they should also, I think look at the at the structure of that industry, like a little bit old school thinking about how to compete. Because even if you create sort of like a moat or a builder on any step of value chain, it does not mean that someone is not going to have mm. and completely reinvent how how things mm. are done. And then when you think about like a famous cases, which are like Harry's Dollar Shave Club and so on, they're like, oh, the little video made Dollar Shave Club. Fuck no. I mean, we had 3% of the, or, or, or like, I don't know, like small percentage of the market share until they started, they, they were bought by Unilever, which put them on every single sh shelf in the physical retail stores. The same with Harris. They were like, maybe 11% until they started distributed. No, they were actually the ones on three and then jumped to 11% when they started distributed through Tal Target and Walmart. So I think that the, the people are very seduced by this disruption narrative, whereas sometimes, like, they forget that, like, yes, there is innovative marketing that those companies do, yeah, they didn't try a new acquisition channel, great, they did a little spiffy video, or they did, like, oh, real man, like, shave or something, like, net. but then when you come to real market growth, uh, nothing is bigger than scale. Scale and then and guess what? PNG has scale. Unilever has scale. Walmart has scale. All these like like incumbents that are like clunky. They have the scale that you actually need to achieve any meaningful market share. So in that sense, we're too seduced by that narrative. We're not thinking about like oh, how do you really grow a market? 
and we too much think about like, uh, oh, that's completely innovative. Well, no, I mean they made a video and that was innovative. You know, like if that. Well, I go back. To, I go back to this generational thing because I think that's the. I think that's the catalyst. Right. I, I think. You know, there's. Even the Dollar Shave Club video, it's sort of like, it's a sort of a, it's a consumer championing attitude. This it, it's like we're a company. We've come from nowhere. We don't spend money on expensive celebrities. Um, that's why we can deliver. It would never have succeeded if the society was not already ready to accept the trend. If three years before Harry's and Dollar Shave Club, there was an article was like real men uh, have beers and drink beer or something, and that was like back then there was like men were already starting to invest more money in their own grooming. They were already paying attention more to grooming products. If the society is ready to embrace a trend, it's going to succeed. If it's not nothing is going to succeed so that was there was already conversation happening about men's grooming cosmetics and so on and men were already spending more money infinitely more than previous years on their own grooming and then Harris came and Dollar Share Club came no matter what they did the society was ready there was the the, the forest was already dry the spark just came and and put the forest on fire so to, and that's how it spread but in, in, in second life and, and Fortnite now the second life didn't succeed for guess number of reasons, but it also didn't succeed because not enough people like the side was, was not yeah, ready. Yeah. It wasn't primed. For, uh, the market right. wasn't primed. So it was not. There was not that receptivity. Instead, we are looking at this like lone antisocial disruptor and renegade versus looking at the social processes that enable that disruptor to thrive. That really gave gives so the timing, guys. Yeah. So timing. Ti it's timing. It's timing. It's is that guys that reading the yeah. atmosphere and yeah. really knowing. Oh, Oh, the behavior oh like everyone is like more anxious about political situations so they're staying more indoors and that's why they're cooking more so maybe that's why blue apron succeeded the way it did or those services and that's why maybe they're they're buying more interior design things rather than fashion which is for going out i'm like saying there is a number like of sociological factors influencing that that this is too often forget they're just looking at the they're like, oh, do you have acquisition channel? Do you have a proprietary product? But Harriet and Dollar Shave, they don't have proprietary product. I mean, look at it down. Like, everyone has a razor now, you know? Like, everyone is, like, doing that. And they're going to succeed if they are carried by Target because that's the critical mass that, that you need. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you could say the, the, the only thing they have, actually, is a brand. That is the, I think that is the passion and purpose that is like helping you battle the algorithm because Amazon is coming, like publishers are gone, online media are gone, retail is next. And when like algorithm is the exact opposite of the brand because by default it commodifies all products and services and then makes them indistinguishable. They're making like lowest common denominator or most reviewed or the cheapest or something. The only way to is to build, to survive is to build a strong brand with a strong passion and purpose that builds a community or piggybacks or all the existing community like Patagonia did, for example. Those people are diehard uh, sort of nature lovers and Patagonia can make like 
outdoor clothes, but if there's no outdoors, they're out of business. So it's very logical for them so to, to, to protect. say, hey, our purpose is to protect because that is the entire ecosystem that we operate, that we are, we are staying in business as long as there is a great outdoors out, out, out there. And they're like really those enthusiasts. And use those early enthusiasts, zoom in on them and use them as an advertising for the masses. That's what Away Luggage does. Those traveler stories, that's what Rafa Cycling Club does. Those cyclists, that's what Patagonia does. Like profiling those diet Hard. enthusiasts who are already representing that purpose in a very believable way yeah so that so but they're but they're not um if they had a big silicon valley vc company behind them some of those companies you just mentioned and they were startups maybe they would uh, they would they could be in trouble the the, the fact that the, the patagonia uh, patagonia is private i think right. makes a big difference right. They, right. they, they can dictate what they want to do. But they the way luggage, every, or once everyone has the way luggage, is it success or not success? Because then you have a reverse network effect. And then because it becomes a commodity. So that's the question, how successful are going to manage to nurture the brand with that fast growth? Maybe they do. Great. Yeah. Um, where else? Which, what else should we talk about? Where I else don't know. Going? So they ask missed? you something about yeah. what do you see? How do you think about the future? Well, I do. I mean, I, I think there's a. I think you're right. I, I'm. I, I think there's a danger of uh, too many, reading too many headlines and not thinking enough. Um, actually, that was what I was going to ask you next. Actually, it was. Um, what are the? You've obviously been thinking about the algorithm because I know you're, you've written a bit about the algorithm. That's all I think about. <laughs> really? That's I think you think? that's a lot. That's that, that that's all a lot of us should be thinking about. Um, and because algorithms will do everything and be everything, and they will circumvent a, a lot of because they automate a lot of things. I mean, you think about like machine learning, and they learn much faster than than, than, than we do. And it's not I'm not like proponent or like oh we're going all to be like replaced by robots. By far not. But when you look at the industries that have been replaced by algorithms, with like publishing and then digital media even and how they commoditize industry after industry that is something for us to think about because are we going to then build a strong brand and then how are we going to what is the strategy to sort of live in the in the in the world shape algorithms how are we going to tell our customers yes you can get like x y and z and it doesn't matter but when you buy this product you're actually buying into a lifestyle you're buying into a value system you're buying into a community you're buying into something else and it's really the timing is good because because younger consumers are and all of us at the end of the day they, they, they're looking for brands to stand for something and to give back more than just like sell a product sell a product sell a product it's more about like feeling a kinship with do, the do brand you think do you think that there's, there's a sort of dividing line between I, I always I always sort of thought that I could and I've done this before you talk to people about brands and you sort of say let's draw like three concentric circles the first circle is the brands that you really value you feel close to and you would be really hurt if they disappeared. Mm -hmm. The next circle is the ones that are sort of, yeah, you're, you, you're kind of important to you. Um, and, and, you know, then the third circle is the ones that you don't sort of really care about. And I, and I think that's what a lot of people have talked about with the, the future of the algorithm is this sort of, there's the utility and the things like the practical things that you need from a grocery. So if you don't have a relationship with these 
Mm, even with the grocery now, like you want, if you even with diapers and toilet paper, oh, you want it to be recyclable. You want it to let it like the, the branded, like the company that made it is transparent. They're hiring their fair labor. You you want to know. Well, there's, all a those of, there's a group. There's a group of consumers who for whom I mean I think it's it's hard to generalize. I mean there's a group of consumers for whom that is important. Absolutely. I mean of course everything is there's like typical. But I mean that's you know just, just planner just, reply depends. That, <laughs> Don't be a planner. <laughs> but <laughs> but um. You know, this is fascinating. The batteries, here are some, you know, we just, uh, uh, Amazon has taken 30% of the U.S. battery market in three years, which is an astonishing, right. because no one gives a damn about sure. batteries, right? Right. And, and, and Duracell and So, energy. yeah, algorithm can eat the brands in categories where brands never mattered. But again, like even in those categories, if you really, really try, you can create a brand around some story of like battery that was that is created in Appalachian Mountains by workers who were laid off. You know what I mean? It's kind of like if you want to create a story in a nightmare. So have, have, have so have um, in a in a in a in a world of programmatic advertising mm -hmm. and just every you know the have brand owners got lazy i mean are they ultimately seeding seeding their own demise because they feel that uh, they've, they've neglected the very thing that made them important at one point that's again a question of growth and scale because sometimes you just don't have a choice. Sometimes performance marketing is the only thing you have money for and that's where you go for. And if, if you can choose, if you have no money for brand marketing and you can choose to buy some social like ads, yeah, sure, go for it, you know? Like, so I think it's a business decision. It's not like, I'm not being all noble here and like brands matter. Like, no, in many categories, for many product categories, like, yeah, sure, like, as long as you have a cut and the, the product is moving, go for it. It's, it's just more of a, the, the dangerous part for me when I think about TikTok, for example, again, is more about how you, you, tr you start trusting algorithm in a sense and then your world becomes smaller and smaller and then you get more and more radicalized and then you're less and less open like I mean this is a phenomenon widely recorded but when you have algorithms when you have with influencers everyone is they're fake they're fake well fuck yeah I mean they're like you know like they have capital and capital is going to be monetized so well, are you surprised in the influencer market is like they're not it's set up that way right i mean and then even micro influencers and and, and then nano influencers yes they everyone is selling something you know and that is sort of but where is authenticity well i mean maybe authenticity like we reach the the the, the, the kind of like horizon of human authenticity maybe you have authenticity when it comes to bots an algorithm because you know you're going to get what you like as a is that dangerous or is is it good i'm not i'm not sure yet well, I mean, the, 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 we've learned a bit in the past, but there's, it's not like we've, we're just coming across algorithms. They've been around, we've been around this for a long time. And people have actually, I mean, it's been... AI has no, I mean, they've been around, but not at this scale, adopt, ease of adoption and pervasiveness, I would say, you know? Well, didn't, wasn't Amazon always recommending you things? Absolutely, but then there, there was before Facebook and Instagram and Google and, and all, or YouTube, or like all of that. Well, and I think I think what's going to, I think the, the, the next turn is the predict, so we're talking about predictive, which is we know you will like this. Right. Yeah, which is... Which is, because we have enough amount of critical right. data and enough yeah. like other people like no like Spotify is a 
collaborative filtering or like genre you like this artist this and then these are the things you're missing that belong to the same genre but then then again that is very the, your taste profile is created without your doing anything yeah yeah so is that good or you know what do you think is it good um because you're like like you know how capitalism oh brands always like we know what you need and we're giving you products and services to express yourself and there's that modernity before identity was super fixed and now you can be whatever you want to be and then comes the algorithm and like you you are your taste profile and i we know what you like and you're like well great <laughs> well the, pro the problem is i don't always know what i like and they my, know, my, like, they my, like, my likes data. change. My likes change. I know, but you see the agency is taken away. The moment you open TikTok, the stream is going. The agency is, doesn't exist. Agency is your human agency to express your identity. You, you understand what kind of like, like the point of view is shifted from you to your taste profile. Right. Suddenly someone else is dictating. They're not dictating. You're dictating based on what you like. They're just serving you. <laughs> but they're also, you know, I mean, I think all these, the, the, the models are pretty much based on the same uh, goal. Uh, and it goes back to that idea of growth. And in this case, it's a retention model. They, Netflix actually has this number that they know that if you um, watch more than eight hours of Netflix, mm -hmm. you are likely to keep your subscription. Right, or, or in retail you have like, I know if you spend X amount of time or decide to sell this many or it's in your cart for three days, I'm going to send an email and remind you. If it's in your cart sure. nine days, I'm going to remind you again. And if it's in your cart 14 days, forget it. Yeah. Or, you know, like... But I, so I mean, all these, all these things, are, they're, they're modeled on a, on a basis of we've got to keep you happy. And so we're making these recommendations to keep you happy. Right. And, and Whereas previously it was like, oh, I'm going to watch this and this, and that's my taste profile, and I have a set, certain social capital because I like European artistic movies, and that's how I gain my influence, and blah. You see how different that is in terms of consumerism? That you basically just need to watch eight hours of yeah. Netflix, and then, yeah. And then everyone... And, and then, then you're happy. happy. Everyone is happy. Everyone yeah. is happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but I mean, I... I it's, it's hard to, it's really, I mean, as you said, I think this goes back to this idea to me about being adaptive, and that's where we started, and it was kind of from a personal perspective that you talked about it first of all, because it was about how you're, you know, building up your experience in, in, in different um, avenues to be able to be adaptive. But then it comes back to really the answer to the question of how do you think about the future is you prepare your organization for the future by being flexible enough to be able to open and flexible and adaptive now yeah. because even for small gradual changes you recognize them they yeah. don't like fly above your head because you're so bogged down in excel spreadsheets and repeating what you're doing right. and and what has been successful in the past okay maybe so maybe so to conclude we can conclude on this if there are any listeners out there which we hope there will be a few um how would you how would you what would you recommend people look at uh, you know, we talked about TikTok. What, if, if you want to see the future a little bit now, um, that is going to probably come and bite me in the ass. So I don't want to make any predictions. I just think when I think about algorithm that they are embodying that right now. But like maybe something else shows up, or like people decide that it's not. Look at Snapchat, poor guys. Right. 
they were the hottest and the they were the future and all of a sudden Instagram you know implemented the short videos there there goes Snapchat you know yeah so I wouldn't yeah don't don't we can't make any predictions That's yeah no I don't want to like you know how Mike Tyson is like everyone has a plan until they're punched in the face so That's a great point you, to end on so yeah stay on your feet be fast and like for me the worst thing you can do is to repeat what was successful in the past I think if there is one thing because there was a context why it was successful and just repeating past success and even if you don't repeat then you're going to be like well let's try again well no try something else be open to pivot so the formula the formula for success which is often what people look for is not is a is a a recipe for failure if your inputs are always different the output is going to be the future okay that's fantastic thank you so much (laughs) thanks for having me at great uh,